Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. End of the week edition of the pod here. Got some news to get to. Also going to talk about that Sixers-Cavs game, which I thought was really fascinating on a number of levels. The Sixers pulling it out with a plum against a Cavs team that really struggled from downtown. Sponsored today by Audible. Go to audible.com slash catspace to start a 30-day trial with your first audiobook free. Let's hit the news first here. And where I wanted to start was some interesting news reported by Jonathan Gavone that the NBL, the Australian Pro League, you'll recall that Terrence Ferguson, now of the Thunder, played there last year, became the 21st overall pick when uh, he did not want to or could not perhaps go to college. And the idea here is that they're going to create something called the Next Stars program. They'll add an extra roster spot strictly for draft eligible players, and those players will get 100000 Australian dollars, which will be funded directly by the league. There's a number of things that are interesting about this. One is you used to only be able to have have three foreign players per team and it didn't really make sense to waste a spot on an untested teenager the Adelaide 36ers actually won the NBL last year and Ferguson didn't play much of a role he only averaged 4.6 points it wasn't really a part of that they won anyway and they developed him well but this now provides an incentive with this extra roster spot and do you think Danny that this will be an option for more U.S. teenagers? I think it will be but the swing factor here as it is in almost all of these are shoe companies because the money that they're offering is about $78,000 US which is you know it's not terrible but it's not great but shoe companies in this Gavoni talked about this in the piece can be a, a very important element was with Emmanuel Moutier when he went to China was for Terrence Ferguson there and so if they decide to kind of if they're like hey either we're game with this or even we want to encourage this then it becomes much more viable and I think there's a very reasonable chance of that and also you talked about how Terrence Ferguson you know he didn't play a whole lot for them there are a series of complicated elements towards having these guys in the G League because as the G League is being formed at this moment they're trying to do more of a minor league system and so then the players who are a part of their system will get priority versus ones that they have zero control over because they will have to go through the draft process because everybody has to go through the draft process yeah in the g league right now there's no incentive to develop a a player who's not really in your system especially a young one who even in the g league is unlikely to win games if you want to hear more about our our opinions on that we talked about that uh, with dylan murphy on monday night's show uh former g league coach uh, and scout so he he had a very good idea of uh, kind of what it's like for guys that young trying to play in the g league uh and his opinion was that it really has to kind of be beefed up and in a way this arrangement with the nbl could be an uh, impetus for the nba to ultimately do that and also to create some incentives to develop these
these players. The big reason, yeah, go ahead. Have I ever told you my idea on how I would approach this if I were the NBA with the G League? No. I would establish two, probably, it would depend on the number who were interested, extra teams that were basically the kind of the equivalent of barnstorming teams, with the idea being that they are a part of the G League, they are funded by the NBA itself with coaches and stuff, so they're on their own teams rather than that they're a part of it. And so I think that would be a really interesting opportunity for that. So they would be separate from the other teams, but competing with them all the same. Maybe you put them in cities where there are not G League teams, but could support it. It could be a nice little thing, even for test things like St. Louis, let's say. You could do something there, all sorts of places. And that way you create it where they're competing. They get to stay in the U.S. They can make whatever the wage level is, but they are not intermingled because the intermingling is the problem with the incentives as they structured the G League. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I think something along those lines as well. I mean, you'd have to get some vets on those teams, otherwise they just get their asses kicked. Uh, but you'd have to come up with, with some way to make them competitive and make it more of a real team instead of just like, let's throw all these potential draft picks on there because uh, those guys are all going to be competing with each other for shots and minutes uh, as well. But yeah, I think something along those lines could work. So getting back to the point that I was making, the reason I think that this is really interesting and could provide an impetus in the type of direction we're talking about with the G League is this is first and foremost for a low revenue league in the NBL, a way to make some money and that follow the model with Ferguson. We wondered, hey, Ferguson, like why would they bring this guy over when he's probably not going to really contribute? I and mean, is it just for the publicity? Yeah, okay, a little bit. But in the NBL, you know, the best players, uh, to my understanding, are making maybe two or three hundred thousand dollars per year. You know, some of the lower end guys are making just, you know, like fifty thousand dollars or something like that. Like not very much. And so the idea that, hey, you know what, like we're going to spend all this money enough to entice someone like a Ferguson to come over here, but he's not actually going to help us win. And he's probably not really going to help us draw and pay for himself. What's the financial incentive to do that, right? Like th- these are money-making organizations here. If, especially if you're not going to win games, there has to be a financial incentive. Well, it all goes back to the fact that NBA teams on their own can pay up to this year $700,000 to buy a player out of his contract. And so probably what ended up happening with Ferguson, I don't know exactly how much he got bought out for, but you remember actually there was that delay with him actually signing his contract with the Thunder. And this is speculation, but I I would posit that perhaps his buyout and the amount of it had something to do with that. But his contract, most overseas contracts have a buyout amount in there if they go on longer than the amount of time. And Ferguson apparently went on longer than just that one year with his contract. And so the 36ers developed Ferguson for a year. He gets drafted and now they get a nice little windfall, which is far more than his salary. It's almost just a money-making scheme. They get a financial reward for having nurtured this guy for a year and developed him. Uh, And while I think that is really nice in theory, I think that it could encourage this extra roster slot would be great. They could encourage these guys to uh, develop. They have incentive to develop them because if they get drafted by the NBA, now you can get that buyout amount. Eventually, I think the NBA is going to kind of not be too happy about this arbitrage and essentially if they're going to pay $700,000 or whatever it is and and to just be subsidizing the development of these players in Australia which is essentially what would be happening you might as well just pay that amount of money and subsidize it in the U.S. instead and actually have control over the players and so if a lot of players we don't know how many players are going to start doing this we don't know what the reaction is going to be from some of the shoe companies or agents or whatever to who might help subsidize players a little bit for a year but I think that if enough players start doing this and enough NBA teams are like why are we paying these guys $700,000 in a buyout you might see a grand swallow like all right let's just develop these guys here as somebody who used to make his living doing arbitrage there are firm 
firm responses when people think they can try to make that money back. And in my business, that's a conversation that we shouldn't have on this podcast, but it was it's definitely something that happens. The other part with Australia that I think is worth mentioning are the cultural differences that I think are making would make it easier. Yes, there is a big geographic distance. I mean, Australia is a long way from here, but they speak English and the quality of play and the structure of the league there is very different. I think back to Brandon Jennings playing for Roma or some of the other Americans that have gone abroad when they were really young. And I think Australia makes a lot of sense for that if the U.S. doesn't have their shit together, which they absolutely should. I think it makes more sense than any of the other options that are out there for most guys who are not already accustomed to that system. Well, the one way in which uh, I agree with you, except for we've seen Moutier, we've seen Brandon Jennings, although I think those days are over. I think teams now have a better understanding that like players that young aren't going to help a professional team win if it's any kind of a decent level um and by the way the nbl is actually a lower level than you know china probably is although china is weird because they have all these rules about when americans can play and stuff and and some of the higher level european leagues as well and still get some good press and hopefully maybe help them build up their business a little bit and uh get more fans and, and all that stuff uh but you know so maybe younger players who are really good could make more of a difference there but you're still playing against men unlikely that they're going to help much on the floor so if there are other leagues where that are willing to pay more than the nbl can uh then maybe we'll see uh players go there instead but uh it does seem like just from a development standpoint uh as long as those huge contracts in like china or in europe aren't there anymore and maybe they aren't anymore because those players haven't really helped those teams win then uh this could end up being the best option and i mean i i applaud this because i think that players should have as many options as possible i think the ncaa is pretty sorry uh but uh, and at least will allow players to get paid earlier i'm not sure necessarily if Australia is going to do a better job developing players than the NCAA would they certainly have a lot of advantages in terms of just their facilities and stuff like that uh, at the NCAA level uh, although certainly the game in Australia is closer to what's being played in the NBA but anything else on that or should we move on well we can transition from that into a player who might have been able to do that had it been an option especially with his eventual eligibility stuff Shabazz Muhammad Shabazz Muhammad though they didn't find out about his age issues until he was getting ready for the draft as opposed to while he's playing UC he was the last buyout it was somewhat surprising because he has a player option on that last year and we haven't heard yet how much money he gave up but even in some ways more surprising than that there was a buyout was that he already has a destination and i'm not thrilled about it this is like it's ironic that he's going from the wolves to the bucks because on the wolves he was on a team that had a billion shot creators already and didn't need uh his shot creation and absolutely nothing else type a game and now he's going to a bucks team that has plenty of shot creators already and doesn't need his shot creation and nothing else game yeah and i mean to compound with that on the the nothing else part of it muhammad has been atrocious defensively for his entire professional career he doesn't pass the ball notorious for it and you can use the eye test you can use stats he i I believe he's second to last in rpm this year a whopping 494th and the eye test isn't much better i mean he didn't look like an nba player he has been out of the Wolves rotation. He, he didn't even play in meaningful minutes, as I re- recall, after Jimmy Butler got, got hurt, and they're looking for depth in the worst way on the wing. So the fact that the Bucks decided to say this is our guy, and hey, we need to, you know we, we'll get him, and he'll be playoff eligible and all that, is an absolute misstep for me from Milwaukee. And it's sad because I want every team to put the best foot forward, and I don't think Shabazz Muhammad is anybody in the NBA's best foot. Yeah, and even if 
this is going to be a multi-year deal which it may be you remember you'll recall that muhammad had a player option for next year and will it'll be fascinating to see how much of that he gave up to get his freedom shortly before the the bucks will move on uh, from sean kilpatrick another shot creator that they didn't really have uh, much need for and i mean this isn't the end of the world muhammad's a talented guy this is kind of a second draft sort of move but just any team other than the bucks and especially if he plays over someone like say sterling Brown, who is looked like he could be effective as a three and d type of option uh, going forward here uh, that would be a, a mistake i believe as well even playing him over jason terry i think w- would be a mistake at this point and so maybe they're just keeping him around get a look at him see but even next year it's hard to imagine with all the guys they have on this team that there would be much of a role for muhammad unless he very significantly changes his game uh other news uh, this happened after we recorded yesterday trevor booker is the wavy for the sixers in fact they already signed her saying so we'll talk about his effect against cleveland tonight later on here booker will sign with the pacers for the remainder of the season so he's actually going to make more money as a result of being waived and certainly i applaud philly for being i think this is the right move to move on from booker uh with the superior option Ilyasova available you thought maybe they wouldn't just because of the pr aspect of having traded a second round pick to get booker earlier this season uh and, and so that's good that they recognize that sunk cost but they also made a move that changed him into a, a sunk cost and he really was ineffective in his time with six i also think that the pacers did reasonably well here booker is imperfect but they have a little bit more shooting especially with miles turner at the five so the four is his limitations there don't necessarily compound it as much and because they presumably didn't have Ersan Ilyasova available now I would rather have Ilyasova than Booker for the Pacers as well as the Sixers so if they could have gotten him they should have but he's still better than who they had they'd been kind of TJ Leaf and some other stuff and so Booker they had an open roster spot I think he makes them better so it's a cascading type of thing I think both teams benefited though it's more important to a degree for the Sixers because the fit is it was just not good with Booker there yeah and great job by Ilyasova to to sign that deal where he had the no trade avoid getting traded and then go back to where he apparently wanted to be again which was Philly and supposedly with both of these buyouts both Bellinelli who knew Brett Braun from his time in San Antonio and then Ilyasova who had spent time of course with the Sixers recently as last season uh Brett Braun apparently was a big factor in getting them to go there uh, per the TNT broadcast um and it'd be interesting to see for the Pacers are they going to be better I haven't had a chance to watch them yet since GR3 came back but would they play him at the four more or is it better to play Booker presumably it's going to be Booker the combinations there will be very interesting I think like you I think he might fit a little bit better with Miles Turner but if Turner is the starter that becomes difficult to get to that combination perhaps um Corey Brewer is going to sign with the Thunder uh, after getting bought out by the Lakers we talked already about why we're not huge fans that move uh, if he's going to actually play if he's just deep bench depth and and leadership and all that okay but uh, you imagine he's being signed there to play uh what else we got here one thing that happened I think it was right around when we recorded the last time was the announcement that Josh Hart has a, a broken bone in his left hand and now it's been announced that he's going to undergo surgery on his broken left finger we do not have a timeline yet but I would expect it'll be at least 
you know, close to the end of the regular season, the Lakers aren't making the playoffs as well as they played recently. So that's certainly unfortunate. I was really looking forward to seeing how Hart fit with these young guys, especially now that Lonzo is back. And now we're we're probably not going to get to see that until Summer League. And we don't even know how many of these guys are going to play in Summer League. Yeah, uh, too bad. I, I enjoyed Hart, but uh, obviously they didn't miss him too much today as they just blew out uh, Miami. They've had a couple of impressive blowout wins lately. And that's that's really the, you, you don't see, you know, bad teams they can get lucky in a lot of close games with the lakers i mean they blew out the mavs uh, i think recently i think it was the mavs right who they played it uh earlier this week and then uh to go in and just kill miami with, on the back of uh some hot three-point shooting and, and isaiah thomas in particular going off for them uh, julius randall as well in the first half uh so memphis we talked about them yesterday about the young cores that they would probably be the team with the least talent if you had to assemble a quote-unquote young core of any team in the NBA if not uh, the worst certainly right up there and Tyreek Evans has a right rib injury he's got uh, rib cage cartilage damage per an MRI and certainly the Grizz have absolutely zero reason to bring him back any earlier than when he's 190% healthy they have lost 11 straight uh, zooming near the top of the lottery and because they just can't score at all without Evans on the floor missing him might even be a bigger deal than if they miss a soul for any reason and then Wayne Selden's been in and out of the lineup with, with recurrence uh, of those right knee issues that that quad tendon Chandler Parsons has a, an illness he's missed a few games uh, again now Deontay Davis sprained his ankle he's not going to play on Friday against the Nuggets either and basically Andrew Harrison <laughs> their backup point guard who's actually been better than expected this year is questionable for Friday I mean they are just walking wounded and Marcus Gasol expressed some frustration uh, but you know this is what it's going to be for the rest of the year man uh so get used to it the grizz uh rocketing to the top uh, of the tank rank especially since the suns won last night can we take this two minutes and just have that be their section i'll add in the stats for the 15 and 60 <laughs> oh man uh yeah t- sadly we already had liam do the the grizz so uh <laughs> we can't just farm it out to him again no no he he gets punishment like once every three weeks i think that's only fair uh, not not more than that well it, it's not punishment it's more like work work evasion for us but yeah i mean you really <laughs> but you know you get to the point now with a team like the grizz and like yeah you know they might have some young players we could take a little bit of a look at absolutely i'll watch uh, dylan but, brooks and some other stuff yeah but nonetheless like i mean it's just such a weird ecosystem and just where they're at it, at this point that you question really how much can you learn um so we'll get to cleveland and philly momentarily here but first this from audible and i was reminded again on this road trip that i took to colorado just how awesome audible is and a lot of these books will come out on the exact same day that the normal books come out in fact when jonathan abram's book on the wire came out that was like oral histories are just like perfect for audiobooks too uh and I was praying that the audiobook would come out the same day as the actual book did because it was in the middle of our trip and it did and I've uh, finished just about that whole book now in audio version. I probably have listened to maybe 10 books or so, maybe even more than that in the past year with, with Audible. I've been a subscriber there since 2005. I, I think especially for like sports books, it's really good because you know those are the kind of books where you don't have to like really lock in and like think about it and like you know when the, the author spends like three pages describing a scene, you don't you can 
can sort of like you don't have to imagine it uh sports books don't have that it's more just like quotes and facts and stuff so it, it's similar kind of mental energy to listening to a podcast and so those are great for audio books um listen to jack mccallum's book uh, on audio listen to loose balls on audio i listen to that wire oral history listen to jack mccallum's dream team book uh, on audiobooks so this is all within probably the last three or four months uh, i've done this and it's you know even if you're washing the dishes or something it's awesome uh so the way to get started with audible and get your 30-day trial and your first audiobook free go to audible.com slash cap space or you could text cap space to the number 500-500 audible.com slash cap space easy to remember that because we talk about cap space all the time on the program audible.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us so this uh, game started with the news two hours or so before tip-off that quote something happened after shoot around per Ty Lu that led to jr smith receiving a one game suspension although they were extremely adamant that he'll be back at practice on friday and would start again on saturday what the hell could have happened after shoot around with jr smith they they claim that it's not an altercation with another player or something i mean i can't even begin to think of what this was but uh just so weird however it did give us an opportunity to see rodney hood as the starting shooting guard which was i don't even necessarily call it a silver lining it was better than that because it was just something i wanted to see this was not the best game for rodney hood though i think a portion of that was more just the shots not falling rather than him playing particularly badly i'm not sure if you disagree with that yeah hood was effective early against jj reddick uh, using his size uh, to maneuver into short range shots rise up over the top of reddick who is one of the shorter arm players in the nba doesn't have a lot of explosion obviously and so hood was able to get to his shot at 6-8 it looked to be effective early uh but then did not have the shots go down he missed a very key three late uh off of a, a timeout that really could have made things interesting um so yeah i don't know i mean what do you think just assuming that jr smith and rodney hood kind of play the way we expect them to play the rest of the season who do you think should start i think that hood is a a natural fit just get getting some of those minutes and maybe you can get him activated a little bit more and both of them are so inconsistent defensively that I actually think the biggest factor there is who checks out more by being on the bench and I'm guessing that might be J.R. Smith which is the reason why I'd probably yeah. end up starting him it's really interesting to me I mean J.R. is what 32 33 right now like usually guys will grow and he's had some moments uh, obviously with this Cavs team of increasing maturity but like 32 or 33 year old guys like don't just like get suspended for a game you know like that's very odd to see that you know when you're talking about like guys who are 22 or 25 or something that'll happen and you wonder uh, about smith hopefully we won't learn after this season or at some point in his future that he was like going through some more personal demons than maybe could have been expected uh at this point and that that maybe has something to do with why he hasn't had the season that i think people would have expected from him um but it, i'm i'm in agreement i think you you go with smith still but they also with corver and with hood smith is probably the best defensive option of those three guys although he's not great himself and he's not going to play great right now then you know he is somewhat expendable and that's i think more of an off-season concern than a regular season thing i think sure. you, you you roll with him while you have yeah. him right now but but yeah yeah i mean the, the question 
comes at some point though especially in the playoffs especially if you get down in a playoff series of all right how long are we going to roll with this guy uh as opposed to just going with guys who, who might be more effective um the number one thing that stuck out to me from this game and there are a lot of things but the number one thing to me was i thought the sixers as has happened to many a Cavs opponent this season including the spurs when they won at, at the Cavs about a week ago just beat them with athleticism and effort and just getting to key loose balls really throughout the game there are a couple of big rebounds late one where reddick who's not like some great athlete but he beat two Cavs to a tip out rebound by joel Embiid, and then get got fouled and, and got to the free throw line robert covington got a big defensive rebound there's a play in the first quarter where robert covington just dove on the ground i think it was hood that he just took the ball away from hood did not get down on the floor and really make much effort to get to the ball and you know the, they'll play osmond they'll play tristan thompson but they just don't radiate effort the way a young hungry team like the sixers did and i thought that was the biggest difference tonight more than anything along those lines something that i was thinking about is how they're going to have to balance the larry nance tristan thompson dynamic on this team because tristan has a higher defensive ceiling i mean we saw what he did back in the 2016 finals he was essential for for what for how cleveland succeeded in that series but he is not enough for where for like what the lineups that they're considering and this was i would say though they i think they got back in transition better overall this wasn't a great defensive performance for cleveland tristan thompson does not make them good enough defensively that i think you really need to prioritize playing him for that purpose nance i think i I like his chemistry with lebron i think that that lebron also activates because he's such a good passer he activates a lot more of nance's gravity than the other guys do because team because opponents know that he can get nance the ball and that's very important so i think they should consider that but do you risk blowing up that part of the chemistry when you already know that kevin love is coming back and you're going to get into a holding pattern and a whole bunch of adjustment then do you just kind of roll with it now see where it goes and then say okay when kevin love gets back we're gonna have to reshuffle the deck anyway let's take this information and just wait yeah they did in fact close with nance he those two thompson and nance alternated all of the minutes at center they did not go uh matched up as they were against joel Embiid with any of the jeff green slash lebron at center units thompson played 22 minutes nance 26 nance had 13 points and was plus one thompson was negative 12 though he did have an effect on the offensive glass with six offensive boards uh was not really able to finish around the rim with Embiid there though and you would think that hey it's Embiid thompson is their best post defender who would go with Embiid, but Embiid just went right through tristan thompson to a couple of early fouls getting deep post position i mean thompson can guard nearly anybody in the league in the post but Embiid was just too much for him so i think they just decided they wanted to go with the better offensive player and nance uh nance able to move his feet at least maybe better than this version of tristan thompson can uh i thought nance did an okay job uh, on joel uh who ended up going seven of 18 from the field and struggled at the line as well only three of eight although he hit Embiid hit a huge shot late uh i thought another key thing here and this is a, a another thing that the sixers were able to do well uh jj reddick was unbelievable and his activity and movement and, and shooting ability the Cavs do not really have the communication or the lockdown lock and trail type of defender to deal with reddick's movement and so he had 22 points uh, on only 11 shots actually uncharacteristically missed two free throws he could have been even better and uh was uh, plus 17 for the game and i love danny some of the sets that they ran for reddick late that really uh got him wide open they're also getting better at finding him off of those loose ball kind of offensive rebounds there was one where it went to yeah. i think it went to amir johnson i'm trying to 
remember who it went to. And then Reddick just cut to exactly the right spot. They got him in the ball and he just drilled the shot. And that's something I've gotten more attuned to with, with Steph Curry because he is very good at that too. Corver is actually really good at that as well. And LeBron is great at finding him. But it takes time to really think about playing with somebody like that because there aren't that many players who can just get to the right spot that quickly in the league. In the last five minutes of the game, they had two beautiful ATOs to get Reddick open. One was uh, Reddick setting a back screen for Ben Simmons with Embiid holding it at the elbow and then sprinting off of a DHO from Embiid getting a wide open three. And then the other one, which I liked even more, and this is a a play that I think at this point, I'm starting to see it proliferate a little bit. The Warriors have done it a couple times with Klay Thompson. I don't know if it was just impromptu or not. Uh, And then the Sixers run this pretty regularly now with Reddick is get the ball into the post and then actually have your great shooter set a screen and if you're at that close a range you have to help on that screen and there's nothing else you can do if a guy like Embiid just takes one dribble and if his man is screened off if you don't help on that then he's just going to roll right in for a dunk so you have to help and then when that happens Reddick can just sprint to the corner they actually did a decent enough job closing out on him and Reddick was still able to elude the defender and hit a key baseline jump shot uh, that iced it I thought um really nice stuff there uh, from the Sixers uh, against a Cavs team that as we know uh, struggles uh, in a lot of aspects of, of defense I also had a, an appreciation which I get pretty frequently with the Sixers of Ben Simmons's size you know LeBron still can bounce off of damn near everybody in the league but there were a couple times where Simmons looked like he bothered him a little bit and that is just different yeah. you know we you don't see that very often LeBron still was spectacular in a lot of this game 30 points on 26 shooting possessions nine assist nine rebounds eight assists and only three turnovers yeah this was a very low turnover game for both teams and that was actually important more important for the Sixers because they're way worse at that than the Cavs are yeah yeah Cleveland doesn't have a lot of guys who force that's also true and that will be a problem for them in the playoffs but I I thought that Simmons just his physicality in that way and you think about what he could be after a couple more years not only of strengthening conditioning and just getting a better body in that way but just understanding how how he fits within an NBA offense and defense and where where he can press those advantages it'll be even more noticeable than it is now because let's say the Covington and Bede Simmons trio is together for another four years I think they'll get these dynamics together way better than they are right now and they've been great broadly defensively this year yeah I I really thought that Simmons you mentioned his moments on LeBron he's he at 610 he doesn't have the longest arms but a lot of defending LeBron is not really about length I think it's more about just being able to stay in front and not get knocked backwards and Simmons uh, he's not as strong as LeBron but he has enough heft to just at least continue to compete and he also has great anticipation and, and he plays with pretty good effort I mean he had a couple of steals of entry passes to LeBron he almost had another one that somehow just snaked through that led to, to a three but it was a good gamble for the steal he, he was right there uh, and another play that, that I thought was really interesting was LeBron in transition you know was pretty under control went to a spin move and usually whoever is on him will just get knocked back under the basket and Simmons was able to hold his ground well enough and then strip LeBron on that play and you know maybe LeBron you know his fellow clutch sports teammate he wasn't going a thousand miles an hour in this game he didn't strike me that way necessarily especially on offense but I thought Simmons at least had some moments here I'm not going to say he's going to shut him down in the playoffs and he didn't even have the primary assignment too a lot of that was Robert Covington who I thought had a wonderful game but his energy too I mean just had a key play where he denied LeBron and forced Kyle Korver to try to drive from the center circle all the way to a layup against Embiid where, where he got stopped uh so again it was just a, that Sixers youth energy and then finally 
Joel with that icing shot where he faced up on Nance, went to the spin move, Dirk fadeaway, Clarkson tried to go double and it didn't matter. He just hit this incredible fadeaway shot on the baseline to put it away. So it's also a big game for, in terms of minutes, for the new additions on the Sixers. Bellinelli played 23 minutes, Ilyasova played 18, having just signed earlier in the day. And neither one of them was great. Ilyasova got, I would call it a charge and a half because he drew one charge and the other one, they called it a turnover. They just didn't go either way. But if he hadn't been standing there, it wouldn't have been a turnover. I still hate the way the the rule is called, but he does a nice job of, of maximizing it in that way. Bellinelli will, we haven't done the Sixers since he got there on Twitter NBA show, but there will be moments where I just go off because he takes some of the worst shots in the league, just, just fading twos, all sorts of weird crap, but he's such a good cutter. I think that can really provide some value. And when he's engaged defensively, he tries a little bit and, and that's nice. And the Sixers just, they needed one more guy on the perimeter. And then Ilyasova, I think he's just a better power forward option. We talked about that a little bit earlier in this show and previously. So they're not perfect players. They're not, I don't think they're a part of the Sixers rotation going forward or anything like that, but having capable stewards that it seems like Brett Brown trusts adds meaningful depth and allows them to play in a game against a quality opponent and Simmons and Embiid both those guys did not play more than 34 minutes yeah Simmons perhaps in part due to the fact he had five fouls Covington was up at at 41 actually but uh everyone else uh was 34 minutes uh, or fewer Ilyasova is just such a smart help defender I mean I don't really care for his game he does a lot of flopping you know we hate charges all that but he he does get those charges because he knows where to be he's got a great eye for understanding when he can help uh, and didn't you know he's guarding a guy like Jeff Green he didn't really get taken advantage of Green didn't really do anything in this game is one out of six uh, he and one play that really encapsulated it was Cleveland ran an ATO where they had LeBron James in the post they had Kyle Korver back screening which is so tough to deal with for I think I want to say it was Jeff Green and Ilyasova knew exactly what was coming stepped in front of Green uh and was able to get a deflection that then went out of bounds to the Sixers that that's just the type of play that he is capable of making and few other notes here uh, before we depart Embiid six offensive rebounds tonight that is one thing that I think he could get much better at and Liam remarked on this uh, in the 15 and 60 that Embiid looks to be in a little bit better a shape uh in terms of his effort than he had been and, and I think we saw some of that because he was really beasting guys in the offensive glass he's only has an eight percent offensive rebound rate and given his physical tools I mean he could be one of the absolute best offensive rebounders in the league he spends more time in the perimeter trying to score he's got a lot of responsibilities so I don't begrudge him that but if he could get the energy up to get onto the offensive glass I mean he could really cause problems and then he unlike Tristan Thompson when Embiid gets the offensive rebound he's going to score you know so uh or he's going to get a great tip in and he had uh, quite a few second chance points in this one um I I got a couple more notes but anything else you wanted to go on it was in today a reminder I've said this for basically the entire year the best thing you can do against Joel Embiid offensively is make him dribble and he just gets in some trouble sometimes he gets stripped those kind of things he's he's getting a little bit better I think he's getting a little bit tighter but he's so much less dangerous there than even shooting or or getting there because because he and sometimes he makes reckless passes so I would be focused more on that really at this point don't be 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 ready to dare him to drive because he's not going to
going to beat you as often that way and that's uh, the Sixers did I thought do a nice job of getting him to put it on the floor and then coming at the right time once he'd taken a dribble or two and wasn't in a great position to to pass it Uh, and they did not let him like Nance did a good job of this they wouldn't let him just face up and take that jumper which uh, as we've talked about before uh, is totally deadly Uh, so I I thought they did an okay job uh, on him and I didn't think that overall especially in the second half at times the the Cavs D was that bad but they just they got beaten in transition every once in a while or they'd make a few mistakes like a a key segment of the game was I think they either tied it or got within two and on a great play where they had another ATO where they had Nance fake a screen for LeBron the Warriors run the same play a lot with Draymond Green where they fake the screen for the ball handler and then instead go get the shooter on a wide pin down out of the corner and they got Corver wide open he was being guarded by Sharge and Sharge is not a guy who's gonna be able to get through screens on a guy like Corver uh, and then Simmons comes back down Cleveland blows an on-ball switch between Hood and Clarkson and that forced help and then they got Sarge a wide open corner three right back within like five seconds uh, because they blew that switch and that was we've seen a lot of those uh, in that Spurs game as well we saw a lot of those still miscommunications from Cleveland that you know they would ha- say that oh you know they'll get it figured out once these new guys get acclimated but you know it's been it's been some time now um and there's certainly some guys you know Ersan Ilyasova came back in with the Sixers team yeah I know he played here before but he didn't miss a beat you know he, he didn't make any mistakes like that uh in, in his first game with the team and then I thought that LeBron the way he was guarding TJ McConnell was like pretty hilarious yeah TJ McConnell's reluctance and ineffectiveness shooting threes is going to be a big problem especially in the playoffs when teams figure this out because LeBron was basically giving him like eight feet of clearance if not more he, he and might McConnell, have been standing at the dotted line and, and it was amazing mcconnell took took two threes right in a row and i don't know whether they, lebron left the game after that or they just didn't go back to mcconnell he missed both threes and then later in the second half mcconnell hit a, a mid-ranger over lebron and then the second time uh lebron still wasn't really guarding him and then kind of surprised him with a contest late so he ended up going one out of four basically against that strategy but it was pretty i mean and it was funny too because lebron himself has faced that strategy most notably by greg popovich a lot of the time and clearly i mean mcconnell although he shot the ball well on threes uh this is one of those ones where it's like okay his percentage versus the reality are two different things i i could respond to that but i feel like all my responses would get me into trouble with fan bases that are already mad at us for things we said yesterday <laughs> all right i think that will do it for today don't forget to check out uh, audible audible.com slash cap space get that first month and a free audiobook as well and we'll be back 15 and 16 oh style yeah what you before that i, I have a, I have a piece to plug yeah i do oh yes good uh, so i wrote for the athletic on a, an idea that i had like two months ago and just finally got around to writing it about kj mcdaniels and jeremy grant two guys that were drafted in the top 10 of the second round in 2014 jeremy grant took the hinky special the four-year lightly guaranteed contract kj mcdaniels took the non the the qualifying offer and just kind of how that how that played out for those two guys it's up for the athletic philadelphia but any subscriber to the athletic gets access to it and I enjoyed it as an as an exercise and to, to go through it and just to, to track those paths because, I mean, KJ McDaniels has been on the Grand Rapids Drive all year, and so it was checking in with him and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, that might be a good Danny story time, actually, because McDaniels is just one of the most fascinating contractual situations over the last couple of years. And he's one of those guys who his greatest moments in the league were like the first month and a half of his career, which was too bad. He's uh, not the only Sixer for that to be true, former Sixer for that to be true. Uh, all right, now we can call it quits. We'll be back with the 15 and 60 West. Western Conference on Sunday night. Talk to you all then. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.